I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and this is The Jackpod, where on-point news analyst Jack Beatty helps us connect history, literature, and politics in a way that brings his unique clarity to the world we live in now. Hello there, Jack. Hello, Meghna. Okay, so now we're at episode 23 of The Jackpod. What's the headline for this week? Low information voters. Ah, okay. So this is a familiar phrase from multiple elections past. Why do you bring it up once again now? Uh, Because it's clear after the recent Supreme Court decision uh, effectively putting off hearing the uh, Trump presidential immunity case until late April. And experts say that means that voters will go to the polls in the fall without that case having been decided. That case, the most serious against the president from his 91 felony counts, because it goes right to the issue of insurrection and uh, it carries with it the largest sentence. But it seems almost certain now that voters won't know when they go to the polls whether Trump is guilty or not. Uh, And so uh, people are saying, The the cavalry is not coming. (laughs) Mm. The court isn't going to save us. It's up to the voters. And we're going to talk about three kinds of voters. Uh, Low information voters generally, uh, uh, low information Republican voters, and what you could call um, wrong information voters, uh, Republicans who believe in in the big lie. But before we do that, may I just say this? Um, If Trump is elected and American democracy, as seems, gosh, frighteningly possible, ends, and and Liz Cheney predicted just the other day that if Trump is elected, he won't leave office. Mm -hmm. So if Trump is elected, democracy goes down, historians performing the autopsy on this once great institution— um, will note a very uh, disturbing parallel to another democracy that went down, Weimar Germany. Oh. Mm. In his truly sweeping history uh, of, of modern Germany, the great scholar Gordon Craig shows that in the, in the fatality that brought about the Nazi uh, rule, the, the German judiciary played a crucial role. It was a reactionary uh, judiciary who appointed under the old regime by the Kaiser, not cleaned out by the Weimar government. And consistently, this court ruled against, there was so much political conflict, it ruled against leftists and for rightists. Uh, For example, in a famous case, a right-wing radical kicked to death a left-wing activist, and he was given five weeks of detention. Uh, One minister of justice in Berlin said that there existed a state of war between the people and the judiciary. Again and again, the the judges essentially ignored the uh, law of the Weimar Republic, which said that uh, life sentences for anyone who practices insurrection and look the other way. Flagrantly, mm. they did that in Hitler's trial in 1924 oh. for the, 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 the failed Munich Beer Hall Putsch. He uh, w- was found guilty of treason, 
the, the penalty was death, life imprisonment, or the lightest sentence, banishment from Germany because he was an Austrian. The, the judge didn't do any of those things, sentenced him to uh, Landsberg prison for five years, of which he only served about 260 days, writing his Mein Kampf and, uh, and gaining weight. Uh, and, of course, he used his trial to appeal to the whole country. So that was a flagrant example of the rule of law collapsing in Weimar, Germany. But the parallel is, of course, obvious. We have a, a, a court that, just in, just in recent times, fast action on Bush v. Gore, mm -hmm. fast action on the 14th Amendment case about, about, about Colorado that would have forced Trump off the ballot. Both of these decisions tilted strongly toward Republicans as opposed to that ruling that effectively puts any, any adjudication of Trump's major charged crime out of the reach of the, of the voters. Uh, and in fact, you know, Joyce Vance, the uh, former U.S. attorney, points out people in many states will be casting their ballots not knowing. For example, Pennsylvania, it begins voting, early voting, 42 days before Arizona, 24 days, 39 days in Michigan. Trump's trial will be going on then. There will have been no decision. You know, it isn't for nothing that, that uh, Hamlet and his, his to be or not to be soliloquy names among the whips and scorns of time uh, the law's delay. Mm. You know, um, on, on the other hand, Jack, one could argue that the higher the stakes, perhaps the better it is for, uh, for the justices to, um, I mean, act judiciously, if I could put it that way, in terms of uh, perhaps slowing the speed down so that uh, the deliberation can be thorough and complete. But I take your point about other times in which the Supreme Court has uh, reacted very, very quickly. So um, getting back to what you today's headline is about low information voters. As you said, um, you want to look ahead to the possibility that because this case won't be decided, um, that it really is up to America's voters to decide whether or not Donald Trump is returned to the White House. So let's talk about that phrase, low information voters um, overall or in general. Tell me more, Jack. Well, it sounds like a pejorative, and it, mm. and it is. Uh, uh, it was introduced in a 1991 book by Samuel Popkin called The Reasoning Voter, and it's caught on in political science. Uh, and basically, it, it talks about a group of, of voters of whom, to whom Trump has a strong appeal, uh, uh, to quote from Popkin, they vote according to propaganda, sound bites heard on the media, eloquent speeches, celebrity endorsement, or the advice of other low-information voters. How uh, scant is their information? Well, in 2016, scholars did a big study of, you know, essentially asking people questions about government. And one of the questions was, uh, how many, for how many years does a senator serve? And uh, those who didn't know that answer to that question in this big survey voted for Trump by 20 points. And there's evidence even now that his appeal to this voting block is extremely strong. One reason experts think is that he translates politics and government into culture, into, you know, 
things that people can understand, spite, envy, rage, Barnumism, whatever. He, he makes it entertaining in that dark way of his. But the whole problem of the low information voter raises what one scholar called the democratic dilemma. People who are called upon to make reasoned decision choices may not be able to do so. That's a chronic issue in our politics and it's a very it's a it's a sphere it's a kind of voter that Trump has a strong grip on. Jack, let me just um let me just stir the pot here and and uh and throw in a dash of nuance, right? Because this idea of low information voters to to underscore what you said, the information that Popkin originally was was concerned about was I guess fundamental civic knowledge, right, about how our democracy or our government is supposed to work, um, at least that much. Because, I, I mean, I've been seeing recent studies that show we should question what we mean by information. Because there was a study out of MIT back in 2022 that found that, you know, most voters, regardless of partisan um, uh, leaning, kind of knew of news of the biggest news stories of the week or month. They had heard of them, right? So they were informed that news was happening. Um, But then last summer, really interesting study that came out of Switzerland, of all places, that found that um, voters with lower political knowledge, in this case, knowledge of political news, were actually less aligned with their preferred party simply because they didn't know exactly what their party was doing. Yes, okay, yeah. And then voters with higher political knowledge, um, and this is, again, political news, were more strongly aligned with their political party. So what leaps out to me at th- in that was what information are they getting, right? Voters who, mm. who were, were highly informed tended to be much more... Uh, have much more fealty to their political party. So this obviously is the media that we're talking about, right? There are voters who are getting a ton of information, but it's information that's highly partisan, highly selective, um, and not necessarily always backed by fact or rigorous analysis. Absolutely. And that shows up uh, dramatically in the case of low-information Republican voters. Only a fourth of these voters seek out news about the campaign, according to one study. A a new YouGov poll shows that about half of Republicans, and in many cases, and in some cases, less, much less than that, know about Trump's legal challenges. It seems impossible, but that's the case, according to the YouGov survey. Only four, for example, in 10 knew about this Stormy Daniels case. Uh, uh, They found that of the the, the sexual assault case by Eugene Carroll, only about 45% knew about it, and only about that many knew about the fraud case going on. And you ask, why? You know, how come? And you get right to the point you made about uh, the media. Uh, it was found that uh, in 2019, when Eugene Carroll wrote her memoir in the sexual assault uh, charge surfaced, CNN and MSNBC mentioned this uh, over 110 times on Fox. They mentioned this scandal against Trump less than 10 times. Last year, when Jean Carroll got her big settlement and the case was decided, CNN 
mentioned it 230 times, MSNBC 400 times, Fox seven times. Hmm. No one is telling the people. So um, incredibly, Republicans, half of Republicans don't know about Trump's legal troubles. Hmm. So what do they know then, Jack? Well, what they know is, <laughs> is, 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 is something that isn't true. They know the big lie. Nearly a third of all Americans and over two-thirds of Republicans believe the 2020 election was stolen. Mm. And that's because Donald Trump has said nothing but since 2020. Here he is on election night 2020. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. Jack, how persistent is that big lie amongst the voters that you're thinking about? Well, focus groups with uh, Republicans who believe this show that that night, election night, and just what Trump, I think that was about two o'clock in the morning when Trump uh, made that speech. People went to bed with Trump ahead because same day voting is counted first. That was what uh, pundits called the red mirage <laughs> because early ballots would be coming in after and th- those would be strongly for Biden. But, but so many Republicans went to bed convinced Trump had won. And they got up the next morning and they said, what's this? Mm. Votes are coming in. How did this happen? Of course, the media had said for weeks there'd be a red mirage and it'll change because of, you know, early voting will be strongly Biden. Apparently that didn't register. In in focus groups, that comes up again and again. Mm. Okay. Well... Jack, here's, in fact, an example of exactly what you're talking about. This is CNN reporter Donnie O'Sullivan, who interviewed Trump voters at a rally in Arizona in July of 2022. Trump has told lies about the election in that he said he didn't really lose. Do you think that all the lies about the election are damaging for American democracy? You believe he lied? Do you not? No, I do not. I don't. I mean, he won. So, Jack, then where does this leave us? I mean, when you said that uh, um, American democracy is on the line, especially as you believe if Donald Trump makes it back into office and if it's up to the voters to be the last bulwark in protecting American democracy, I mean, given all that you've said, where does that leave us? It leaves us in a dangerous place. Um, uh you know, one, ha- one can hope that, uh, you know, exogenous events will change things, uh, that, that Joe Biden will seem a more plausible president to people. But worryingly, in a recent survey cited by the L.A. Times asking about stability in the country, you know, which people seem badly to want, Trump comes out ahead uh, of Biden. It's as if people see Biden's feebleness as unable to create any sort of stability, and they feel that the strong man can. That's a very, very dangerous moment. And, you know, the situation of Republican voters who believe the, the big lie, Václav Havel, the wonderful, the really, truly great man of letters, um, uh, dissident 
against the Czech communist government and then later uh, briefly president of Czechoslovakia. Uh, in, a, in an essay from the 70s, The Power of the Powerless, talks about what living in the lie, how people under communism lived in the lie. You know, he goes, to wandering humankind, the lie offers an immediately available home. All one has to do is accept it. And suddenly everything becomes clear once more. Life takes on new meaning. Loneliness vanishes. Of course, one pays dearly for this low-rent home. The price is the abdication of one's own reason, conscience, and responsibility. And he talks about, uh, you know, people simply living in the lie because it is easier to do. It is enough for them to have accepted their life with the lie and to live with it. He, he, he holds out the hope that people can recover. He says, perhaps they can, you know, he talks about a greengrocer who refuses to put, uh, you know, the slogan, a placard saying, workers of the world unite in mm. his, in his, in his uh, window. And he says that's, that's the kind of revolt that can bring down a system where people revolt against the lie. They straighten their backbones and live in greater dignity as individuals living in the truth. Ah. We can only hope that more Americans will want to live in the truth as the election approaches. Well, folks, with that, now it's your turn, as we do every week. And here's the question for you. Questions, really, because I can never stop at one, which is, first of all, what do you think about Jack's analysis of low information voters? Um, and I'll expand it, not just in the Republican Party or low information voters for Donald Trump, but overall, how our democracy sort of uh, rides on the uh, on the on the whims or, or choices made by those low information voters. So regular jackpot listeners, you know how to get to us. Pick up your phone. Go to the On Point Vox Pop app and let us know. And if you're new to the Jackpot family, go to wherever you get your apps. Look for the On Point Vox Pop app, and that is absolutely a way to be a part of our ongoing conversation with Jack about the past, present, and future of American democracy. So given that, Jack, we have a lot of feedback to hear from listeners from last week's podcast when you talked about Donald Trump and the stakes for the environment. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get to that right when we come back. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast.
Well, we're back. This is the Jackpot, of course. And just as a little recap, last week on the pod, Jack, you talked about the threats to the environment if there is another Trump administration and uh, the fact that there is a giant gap between Trump's plans uh, for addressing climate change and Biden's plans for addressing climate change uh, in a second term. So here's some of the feedback we got. Let's start with Greg Steinmetz, who called us from Cranston, Rhode Island. And he, yes, he believes that if Donald Trump is reelected, it will do damage to the environment. But he says there's something Joe Biden needs to do a much better job of when it comes to climate policy. The problems with the push towards clean energy is selling and marketing this to the American people. People need to see that this is a positive change, that in America we can do big things, that this is, this is the challenge of our time, and we want to show future generations that we are up to this challenge and actually did something about it. This needs to be advertised to our citizens. That's Greg from Rhode Island. And here is our friend Howard, the man with the view from Elkhart, Indiana, Howard Turner. And he talked to us about why the current messaging about the environment, why Biden's current messaging just isn't connecting. We see the slow increases in hurricanes and droughts and the higher temperatures in the southwest. But all those are small increases that haven't led to areas being unlivable yet. In comparison to, I am losing my manufacturing job now. We need to change how we sell the necessary changes. Like for the electric cars and transportation, sell the idea of how much extra money you're going to have because you're not having to buy fuel anymore. The way to get people to go green is through their wallet, not the need to save the planet, unfortunately. Well, Jack, thoughts on what Howard and uh, Greg have said? Well, uh, to take Howard, I mean, he's absolutely right. Self-interest is crucial to, to appeal to. This isn't about altruism. And the case for self-interest is just overwhelming. I mean, a recent study said household heating bills could fall by nearly $2,500 a year if the Biden policies were enacted. That's a, that's a savings, uh, a significant savings. On the other hand, on the other hand, the, the manufacturing... People are worried about their jobs. You know, reporting in the Boston Globe in Michigan talked about the unease among Michigan auto workers, and they pointed to this. Biden carried them in Michigan by 25 points over Trump. Now he's leading Trump only by 13 points, which was Hillary Clinton's margin when she lost Michigan. Mm. And the reason, of course, is uh, electric vehicles, green vehicles, which take about a third less labor to build. So quite as Howard said, uh, what about my job? Mm -hmm. Well, here's another one. This is Paul LaLiberté from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. In this country, we have a history of dealing with environmental issues only after pretty significant disasters uh, evidenced by the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, Safe Drinking Water Act, formation of the EPA, Superfund, and unfortunately it looks like the climate crisis will, in order for it to get bad enough to move from 17th on the voting list to the top five, by the time it's there it'll be too late for us to recover. So, Jack, I want to jump in here because my uh, educational history includes a degree in environmental engineering, and Paul is exactly 
right. Human beings are very bad um, at planning for the future. So when we are met with an environmental disaster or crisis that is both fast and focused, you know, like uh, super fun sites are the perfect example, um, people act because they can see the impact of the the toxins or the damage right in front of them. They may even be living with it in their own bodies. Climate change is completely the opposite. It is highly distributed. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, uh, let's call it erratic in terms of who's feeling what impact when. Um, And so therefore, it's kind of easy to put out of your mind for now, right? I mean, all of this can continue to accelerate to the point that it can no longer be ignored. But until then, what do we do about Paul's uh, observation. Oh, he, sure. And he's talking about immutable change. There's yeah. nothing to be done uh, if, if you act too late. You know, it's as if we're searching for an environmental Pearl Harbor. I mean, Nantucket Island, for example, mm-hmm. disappearing into the sea. And, and he's absolutely right about the uh, educative value of dramatic moments. I mean, the, the classic case is the Cuyahoga River fire in oh, 1969. Yeah. It caught fire. And the, the, an oil slick and flames went up five stories high. A river was burning. Carl Strokes was the first city's first black mayor. And with his brother Lewis, a congressman, they played big roles in the passage of the Clean Water Act of 1972, which came right out of the public's learning uh, of just how bad uh, the state of the environment had got. Now, Nantucket uh, or Catalina Island, I don't know, but uh, it needs some, perhaps a disaster that is not quite as apocalyptic as, uh, as, as it could be would, would, would move the needle on, uh, on climate change and get it up into the hierarchy of overwhelmingly important issues. Except I think that those disasters are already happening, Jack. Right? I mean, we've done so many shows, mm-hmm. as you know, about... You know, the Western United States is essentially constantly burning now. Speaking of fires, right? Um, and yes. they have this thousand-year mega drought that they're go- that they're dealing with. It has changed life in the Western United States. I mean, they are whether whether folks living there want to be or not, they are they are climate climate adaptees. Let me put it that way, because no solution is going to work um, overnight to return life to the way it was a century ago there. Um, but nevertheless, from say a, you know a national perspective, even that isn't enough to really no. um, animate all of us to try and continue to push for further, you know, further change um, at the at the national level. So I don't want to end with doom and gloom, though, because I I mm-hmm. always hope for uh, for change to be on the horizon. Um, <laughs> but Jack, nevertheless. Uh, here's a last thought from one more listener, and I guess we are returning to to doom and gloom, but this is Susan (laughs) in McPherson, Kansas. I believe that Donald Trump will not only destroy democracy and this country, but his attitude about the climate will serve to damage the entire rest of the world. Well, Jack... Well, there's no question that Trump's troglodyte views are a threat to uh, the planet. I mean, I just can't can't deny it. And, you know, the effect of a Trump term, drill, baby, drill, even though we're, we lead the world now in producing oil, we have, we have surpassed uh, Saudi Arabia. He's going to still drill, baby, drill, throwing out environmental regulations. It's going to set off a race to the bottom all over the world. Countries are going to say, well, look, if the United States isn't serious about this, neither are we. 
And, and uh, it's, it's frightening to think how far close to the dirty bottom we can get uh, under a Trump uh, regime. Hmm. Well, Jack, you've uh, successfully thwarted my desire to try and end on a note of optimism. <laughs> but here's how I'm going to do it. The future has not yet been written, so we shall see, okay? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Very good. Thank but you. Jack, as always, my sincere thanks to you for another fantastic jackpot. Well, I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and this, as always, is the jackpot from On Point.